morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Botti, Washington. Today is Tuesday, February 27th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. The U.S. appoint Tom Perillo as the new U.S. Special Envoy for Sudan. With this appointment, I think the U.S. is elevating its desire to be a broker that can, you know, attain peace uh, for the ongoing hostilities in Sudan. A pastoral letter from Malawi's Catholic bishops is generating a debate. Guinea's labor unions begin an indefinite strike to demand the release of a press association official. The Nigeria Labor Congress has called for a two-day nationwide protest beginning today, Tuesday. We are protesting against the high cost of living, insecurity. Actually, it is a solidarity protest. Government has to do something to make life more worthy of living. And the UN Environment Assembly is on the way in Nairobi, Kenya. Those stories plus our Black History Month presentation are coming up on Daybreak Africa. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has appointed Tom Perillo as the new U.S. Special Envoy for Sudan. Perillo previously served as the U.S. Special Envoy for the Great Lakes and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Blinken said Perillo will lead U.S. efforts to address the ongoing crisis in Sudan. Brian Adeba is the Deputy Director of Policy at the Century. He tells me Perillo's appointment prioritizes the prospect for peace in Sudan. I think it means the prioritization of uh, efforts to find a peaceful resolution to the conflict. With this appointment, I think the U.S. is elevating its desire to be a broker that can, you know, attain peace uh, for the ongoing hostilities in Sudan. And more importantly, the appointment of someone who's solely dedicated to pursuing negotiations with the stakeholders in the Sudanese conflict That means the possibility of, you know, stemming the humanitarian disaster that is unfolding in Sudan right now uh, is lessened a bit, um, that the possibility of getting food aid and helping destitute people, that chance is now uh, more pronounced than it was yesterday without the envoy's uh, appointment. So, uh, Brian, as you know, there have been several attempts to bring peace or to reach some kind of a settlement in the fighting? What difference would it make if somebody would ask you that? Well, you know, um, previously, you know, the peace negotiations were under the Secretary of African Affairs, the uh, the State Department, and that is a huge portfolio. Um, That person, like, holds a huge portfolio involving many countries in Africa. And there was no one solely dedicated to working with the parties to the conflict in Sudan. This appointment, not to denigrate or not to say that what previous efforts were not were not good, but having one person solely dedicated 100% to um, pursuing peace and talking to the conflicts in South Sudan makes a lot more difference than someone who um, who is not dedicated completely to it because of other priorities on their plate. This prioritization of placing one person at the center to be in charge of uh, negotiations to be in charge of talks and outreach to stakeholders in the Sudanese conflict, I think, makes a big difference. Come at on what I'm just reading. Uh, Yasser Amar is calling for stopping the war in Sudan during the uh, holy month of Ramadan. Is it possible? I think from a humanitarian perspective, um, if the parties to the conflict can heed it, that that is possible. 
But I think that when you look at the conflict dynamics on the ground, uh, the way the conflict has evolved recently, and taking into consideration especially the gains made by the Sudanese armed forces in uh, areas that they were previously um, besieged in, in Khartoum, uh, around Omdurman, around uh, the neighborhoods of uh, Kadru in uh, in Bahri, which is uh, in Khartoum North. With those gains, I think it's going to harden their stance uh, towards um, agreeing to a ceasefire to lessen the, the burden on their suffering civilians in, in Sudan. Brian Adeba is the Deputy Director of Policy at the Century. He was speaking with us from Washington, D.C. The Nigeria Labor Congress has called for a two-day nationwide protest for today, Tuesday, and tomorrow, Wednesday. Nigerian police have gone on a high alert in anticipation of the protest. Benson Upa is the head of information and public affairs at the Nigeria Labor Congress. He tells me the protest is intended to force the government to act on the high cost of living, general insecurity, and the devaluation of the Naira. We are protesting against the high cost of living. Nigerians are dying in droves, no food to eat, insecurity. Actually, it is a solidarity protest. Government has to do something to make life more worthy of living. We have never gotten this low before, never. The Naira exchanges for almost $2,000 now and still climbing. The World Bank and IMF are still asking for more blood. They say the Naira is still overvalued. Big companies have folded up or, or have relocated to other clients. And the smaller ones are ashes of their past. Workers' wages can't take them home. So who are the beneficiaries of this government's policies? I thought the government said it reached an agreement with you not to hold any protest as the government was trying to work out solving the economic problems. Well, Mr. Boti, we never reached such an agreement. The agreement we signed on October 2nd was a 15-point agreement that placed both duty and obligation on government to do certain things that could ameliorate the hardship. But governments serially observed those agreements in breach. Nothing has been fixed. In light of this, we can't be held liable for any violation. You know the rules. If a party unilaterally violates a fundamental term or fundamental terms of an agreement, the other party also has a right to do the needful. The police, I understand, uh, have put officers on red alert. Do you have authorization from the police uh, to hold this uh, protest? We don't need permission from the police to hold our protest. The right to peaceful protest is guaranteed by our constitution. The 1999 constitution as amended. President Bola Tinubu met, I think he has established a commission to look into the uh, economic crisis. Why not give the president a chance to work out how to solve the problem? We have given the president enough chance. From early June till now, he's been promises. Nothing. There is nothing that suggests that anything will change now. And in fact, let me say this. No government has been this lucky with organized labor. Meanwhile, people are dying in droves. People are being killed in droves. I mean, there is hunger in the land. Okay, let me just give you an example. Noodles, the popular brand in the country here is known as Indomie. A carton used to cost 1000 Now a carton costs between fifteen and 17000 in the space of one or two months. 
gas to refill a 12 kg gas when the price went up it went to 8000 but i tell you now as at yesterday it was 15000 light we don't see light yet the rates keep going up and the imf and world bank still want more they are calling for blood so we can't continue like this Benson Upa is the head of information and public affairs at the Nigeria Labor Congress. He was speaking with us from Abuja. Nigeria's Minister of Information has called on the country's labor unions to cooperate with the government as it works to solve the many challenges confronting the country. This, as the Labor Congress has called for a two-day nationwide protest for today, Tuesday and Wednesday, concerning a variety of issues. Information Minister Mohamed Idris Malagai tells me that the government recognizes the union's concerns and has been working to resolve them. Government is uh, doing its best. Uh, first, you recall that uh, in October of last year, we reached an agreement with Labour. They brought out so many issues that they wanted us to meet uh, after they had declared that they were going to embark on a strike. And on the last day, we were able to reach a, a 15-point resolution with Labour. And uh, almost all the resolutions reached with Labour have been met by government. The ones that have not been fully met are those ones that could not be fully met because they require time to implement. For example, the purchase of uh, the CNG buses, but every other aspect, the 25% um, for to the poor for three months, that is 25 times 3, 75,000 naira, that has been met. The, the 25,000 wage award, that has also been met. So we don't think that it is necessary to go the back on the strike at this point. We recognize uh, what uh, Labour is trying to say about the pain that is being felt by everybody, not just uh, members of the Kunas Labour. But it's pertinent to note that government is pretty best. Only yesterday, the president met with the leaders of the private sector to find a common ground. So we want Labour to work with government. Uh, they are our brothers, they are Nigerians, and government respect their views. As you said, you met before. Did you agree for them not to protest? Yeah, there was no basis for that, actually, because everything they asked for, they, we have met. Everything government asked for, they have met. The only addition that they have brought now is that there is hardship in the land. I mean, if there is hardship in the land, it's not good for Labour to come together and find a solution to it. Well, how will protest uh, bring down hardship? I'm not to see that. Protest cannot bring down hardship. It's concerted effort, partnership, collaboration, you know, discussion and uh, and hard work that can bring down hardship. You know, what they indicated was that they have given the government so much time to get things right. Well, government is not a private sector. Government is not an individual uh, enterprise. It's not a company. Government is a collection of, uh, of various uh, ministries, organizations and agencies. Government is working to meet the demand of labor. So what's the point of going, uh, I mean, uh, you know, embarking on a, a protest? Mohamed Idris Malagai is Nigeria's Minister of Information. He was speaking with us from the capital, Abuja. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, February 27th. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. In Guinea-Conakry, the most powerful labor unions began an indefinite strike on Monday. The unions are calling for the immediate and unconditional release of the Secretary General of the Professional Private Press Association of Guinea and the reduction in commodity prices. Reporter Karim Kamara has details from Kunakri. 
offices, schools, shops, and filling stations remain closed throughout the day in Conakry and in the interior of the country. In government-owned hospitals, only minimum services are taking place to attend patients. Just few commercial vehicles are plying the roads in some areas of Conakry since Monday morning. Well-armed police and gendarmes could be seen patrolling the streets of Conakry on board their vehicles, while others are stationed in strategic areas around the city. Intermittent gunfire could be heard in some parts of Conakry as security forces disperse angry youth. At least one 18-year-old boy was shot dead by security forces in Somphonia, a neighborhood in the capital. Kali Jalo is a civil society activist. He says the strike action is a result of bad governance and the refusal by the authorities to provide care for Guineans. He says people are really suffering. He says the prices of all food items have skyrocketed. He says concerning the social, political condition, there are lots of restrictions of freedom. He says recently there have been restrictions on internet, jamming of the frequencies of certain radio stations, and the arrest and detention of journalist Sekou Jamal Pendesa, whom he says is also a labor unionist. The labor unions are demanding free access to the internet, a reduction in prices of basic food items such as rice, which is a stable food in Guinea, and the immediate and unconditional release of the jail journalist Sekou Jamal Pendesa. Dr. Edward Zotomo is a member of the Guinean opposition. He blamed the current situation on the junta and says they are in solidarity with the labor unions. The junta shouldn't have even arrested Pendesa. And if the strike, the strike happened to go ahead, nobody else is going to be blamed but the junta itself, and uh, in, including the head, uh, the head man. To me, there's no question about it. They are the ones who are not willing to resolve this crisis. While members of the unions, we are waiting for the release of Seku Pendesa from prison, a court on Saturday sentenced the journalist to six months behind bars. He received a three-month suspended sentence, three months in jail, and was fined $50. Pendesa was arrested after he called for the lifting of restrictions on the Internet and denounced the persecution of journalists by the junta. On the street of Conakry, early on Monday morning, this is how people reacted to the strike. Frida Mustafa Kamara said that they support the strike because of the increase in cost of all foods. He says nothing works. Yakub Asila, a teacher, says people have had enough. There is no internet. The telephone lines are not good. And the price of a bag of rice has drastically increased. Housewife Bintabari says she supports the strike, but she would like the unions to open negotiations with the government. She says the government must restore the internet and reduce food prices. For VOA Africa, I am Karim Kamara in Conakry. In Malawi, a pastoral letter from Catholic Bishop is generating a debate. The letter says voters should share the blame for choosing leaders who cannot effectively govern. It cites the challenges facing the country, including nepotism, unkept campaign promises, and the failure to raise incomes following the depreciation of the local currency, Dakwacha. Viewers Peter Clotty Rich George Piri, a former lecturer at the University of Livingston in Malawi, for analysis of the letter and reaction from citizens. In Malawi, the largest population is the population that belongs to a church. And because of that, the letter from the pastoral uh, communities shows that uh, the majority of people 
uh, of the language used in the pastoral letter. It means they are dissatisfied with the kind of leadership that uh, uh, the country is currently having. But the pastoral letter also blames Malawians for choosing so to speak leaders who they believed in, but who do not necessarily perform. Is this the true reflection on the ground? Yes, it is true. Uh, Malawians are really supposed to be blamed for their choices, particularly the political choices that they make, which is based on the campaign promises. And when the promises are not met, the blame goes back to the people who chose the leaders. But I would also want to say that uh, what happens in Malawi is that uh, our system is made in such a way that uh, we have the president and the vice president has nothing to do except that he or they have been delegated by the president. So although they are blamed together, but sometimes it is individual president who is to blame because the vice president cannot delegate himself where or what he wants to be done. So the president is to blame because it is the role of the president to delegate the vice. If not, it is the role of the president to make sure that things are done according to his will. Some of the suggestions in the letter say that when appointments are made, it appears that the appointments are made based on where the president comes from, the area he comes from, or perhaps his tribe. But some people are saying that criticisms are not fair and that if somebody comes from the president's hometown or tribe and is qualified, why shouldn't they be considered? Yeah, we have seen those things happening, and in Malawi, we define that as nepotism, although the president has defended that position by saying that are they not Malawians, are they not qualified, although they are qualified, although they are Malawians, but the question is, what system has been used to pick them? Has the system used been given the chance or probability for all those who applied having the same chances to be picked. This is a former lecturer at the University of Livingston in Malawi. He was speaking with viewers Peter Clotty. The UN Environment Assembly, known as UNEA6, is meeting in Nairobi this week to chart solutions to the triple planetary crisis of climate change biodiversity, laws, and pollution. Juma Majanga reports from the UN Environment Headquarters in Nairobi. Over 7,000 delegates from across the world, including heads of state, ministers, intergovernmental organizations, civil society groups, the scientific community, and private sector are gathered here in Nairobi to discuss and shape global environmental policy. There is no objection. It is so decided. Founded in 2012, the UN Environment Assembly brings together all the 193 UN member states with the aim of fostering multilateral solutions to global environmental challenges. This is the sixth session of the Assembly. Today, in 2024, the international community is looking to us to deliver. This is our moment to advance the global environmental agenda 
Previous UNEA meetings have produced more than 90 resolutions on various global environmental issues. It is time to lay political differences aside. Time to focus on this little blue planet, this little planet that is teeming with life, and lift our sights to the common goal, securing a pathway to a future that is safe and sustainable. The meeting of the world's highest environmental decision-making body comes at a time when there has been an increase in the effects of climate change, especially in Africa, despite the continent producing fewer carbon emissions than any other. Kenya is one of the countries still recovering from the effects of a deadly record drought in the Horn of Africa. The government says the assembly in Nairobi brings hope. At this UNEA 6, we have the singular opportunity to inject optimism and restore faith in a strengthened global environmental governance system underpinned by science-based multilateral diplomacy. International discussions on environmental issues are often influenced by political undertones that analysts say can impact such talks, with more than 60 countries, including the U.S., heading to the polls this year. Environmentalists are bracing for wide-ranging outcomes. In a response to a VOA question during a news conference, the UNEP boss expressed her optimism in voters' decision. I hope that when people go into the voting booths, that they will take the future with them in their heart and their grandchild or their daughter or son with them in their hand. Because when we vote, we're not just voting for today, we are also voting for tomorrow. And tomorrow is where the environment either is vibrant or not. Environment leaders agree that UNEA 6 cannot solve the planet's environmental problems overnight. They are nevertheless hopeful that the assembly will help focus minds and energies on finding solutions. Juma, Majanga, VOA News, Kenya. It is time now for our Black History Month and African History presentation for today, February 27th. On this day in 1988, Debbie Thomas became the first African-American figure skater to win a medal of bronze at the Winter Olympics in Calgary, Canada. Thomas also won the World Figure Skating Championship in 1986. Debbie Thomas went on to become a medical doctor. Also on this day in 1853, the first black YMCA was organized in Washington, D.C. by Anthony Bowen. Back then, African Americans were excluded from the existing YMCAs. On this day in 1902, African American and world-renowned opera singer Mariam Anderson was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She went on to be the first African-American to perform at the White House. Also on this day in 1869, the U.S. Congress adopted the 15th Constitutional Amendment. It made it illegal for the United States or any local or state government to deny or abridge the right to vote on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. And those are your Black History Month and African History Facts for today, February 27. And that's it for this Tuesday, February 27th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your morning with us. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I am James Botti, Washington, wishing that you will have an amazing Tuesday. Oh, yeah. uh, you're killing me.
This week on Straight Talk Africa, two years after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the war continues to pose a threat to global security. How is Moscow funding this war? Why is it spreading disinformation? We'll also look at how Russia uses gold from Africa to fund its aggression. Join me, Heidi Adams, on the next Straight Talk Africa, this Wednesday at 